Let's light the tower. Your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way, and Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe, on your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. This is Life the Tower on the Horn. Craigway, Cameron Parker with you. Jeff Howe on vacation uh, uh, today and the rest of next week. He'll be back a week from Monday. Uh, I'll be in town and be here all throughout next week. And uh, and then the following uh, uh, two weeks after that, I'll be out my uh, annual uh, uh, vacation that I go, uh, go back east uh, to... Uh, the North Carolina coast and a couple other stops in between that sort of thing. And then Jeff and I'll reconvene in Arlington at big 12 football media days. Uh, our producers, Cameron Parker, glad to have him alongside as well. And also glad to have your thoughts and memories of uh, your, your dad, because this weekend, of course, is father's day. And uh, for those of us who no longer have our dad, uh, we, uh, you know, Urge you to continue to enjoy the time around your father if you can. Uh, Cam, I know, still has his dad because I met his dad in Stillwater, Oklahoma, when he drove one of the two buses for the Longhorn baseball team. So you still enjoy time with your dad? Yeah. And, and Joy's doing a lot of heavy lifting there. I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> we, actually, we actually spent the uh, the day watching the U.S. Open yesterday. There you go. There you go. What, what would be what, – what, if you have one – specific memory of something that he did with you or the two of you have done together, whatever, one specific memory that stands out, what would that be? Um, it, it's tough because uh, he, he was in Texas when I was in North Carolina uh, throughout my childhood. But yeah. when, when he would come up and stuff, we didn't. I didn't have TV growing up, and we didn't you know, have the means to go out and eat a lot. So he would usually pick me up, and maybe it would be a Saturday or Sunday, and he would take me to the sports bar off exit 23, in in North Carolina called Killingtons. I started to say you took you to Hooters at that area. Yeah, no, thankfully not taking me to Hooters. Okay. But we'd go there, and that that was like the biggest thing in the world was being able to order like French fries and a hamburger and be able to you know watch college football in the NFL because the only way I could really watch it was either if it came on ABC mm-hmm. or if I could pull it up on my mom's flip phone and go to the ESPN app in the old days and just yeah. see what the scores were and it was oh it was seven nothing Texas up. Oh that's cool. Um so that that was probably that's cool. The stuff that I remember the most. Yeah. That good. I appreciate the most. Uh, uh speaking of baseball, it's time to go to the Caros Cafe and Cantina hotline uh, back to join us again. You talk about a guy who's been around the game for over forty years, our MLB insider and a man about the scouting game for low these many years, our good friend Gene Watson. How you doing, Gino? What's going on, Craig? How are uh, you? I, I know because your your dad certainly introduced you to baseball, and you have made baseball your life. Going back to your days as a what a clubhouse boy for the Rangers, and then working your way up through the system as a uh, as a scout, and and, and you were so uh, in uh, you know a very much uh, intimately connected 
with the Braves World Championship team in 95, the Padres National League pennant winner in 98, being a part of those staffs, the Marlins World Title Team in 2003, most recently the Royals and their World Championship team as well, being around those those teams. But it was your dad who introduced you to the game, wasn't it? It was. You know, I remember um, I actually have the uh, pictures on my phone uh, before he passed. He said, hey, I want you to know that these were the first two games I took you to, and they were in uh, 1976, a Yankees uh, doubleheader at the old stadium in Arlington that I actually ended up living in in 1991. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the Yankees swept. The Rangers, Dick Tidrow, who ended up being a dear friend of mine who passed last year, saved both ends of the doubleheader, and uh, Catfish Hunter pitched. And uh, So to have those box scores in my phone is is a very special thing, and I owe everything that I have in this game to my father introducing me to it. You know, uh, you were the one who introduced me to baseball reference, and and it's been a delight because I've been able to look up all of the games that were really uh, benchmark Major League Baseball games uh, in my life that I went to. Now, I've been to, you know, countless, and you've been to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of games. Uh, and I've been I've been to a, an awful lot myself, but there there are a few that are always benchmark games, and you just mentioned one of those. And I'll and 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 one of my favorite memories uh, of, uh, with my dad will involve around uh, my first major league game. I'll get to it later on that. But uh, your your when I asked this morning, I asked uh, the listeners for a favorite Father's Day. Uh, or a favorite uh, memory of of their father, their dad, and and since this is Father's Day weekend, and you and you mentioned that uh, if not your favorite, certainly one of your uh, favorite memories has to do with with going to a ball game with your dad, didn't it? Yeah, you know, it was uh, after my freshman year. I played my freshman year at Saint Edwards University, and I had already made the advanced decision. I was transferring to Texas Arlington, and was about to go to. Um, uh, Monterey, California, to play summer ball. And the Astros were having a tryout camp. And so my dad drove me down to Houston, and we spent the night in the Astrodome. Uh, I, I still to the day remember the sun coming up over the Astrodome. And that wasn't too far out of the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training movie. And uh, it was just a special night. I actually started the game, uh, pitched a scoreless first, and was it done. And you know, to be able to do that, have that experience, spend the night in a van in the parking lot of the Astrodome that you get to start the game and pitch a scoreless inning, it was a, a very special memory. I've got pictures of it, and uh, I think about it all the time. It was one of those, like, real great father-son moments that, that I'll never forget. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And, and we're, we're doing this, folks, can uh, uh, mention, uh, you know, whatever, whatever their favorite memory. It doesn't have to do with baseball. Those that do, for example, uh, somebody said the, the great dad memories were of listening to the Rangers on radio all summer at night and then driving to a rest stop south enough to be out of the blackout area to watch Cowboys games in the 70s. He'd set up the TV with rabbit ears so we could watch with my uncle. You know, we weren't that far removed from those uh, Cowboys NFL blackout days uh, as well. Certainly uh, remember that. Of course, you were in Temple, so you didn't You didn't have to worry about the NFL blackout rules. You were, you were far enough to watch where you could watch a Cowboy game every week, right? 
No doubt. And and as a small child living in Dallas, my dad's best friend was the director of security at Texas Stadium, which I just drove by the old site probably 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and, um, and, and I remember going to the practices at Texas Stadium back when they practiced at Texas Stadium and just – you know, just what that team meant to me at the time and Tom Landry and just very, very special memories. No doubt. All right. Uh, Gene Watson's with us. I want to, I want to get to some baseball questions. Uh, uh, first of all, I got to ask you about this. Um, you and I have had the conversation uh, a couple of times already early on this season where we've talked about how we're now both really on board with the pitch clock. Both of us had our reservations about it. Both of us were really kind of reluctant about it. But uh, the way in which it has accelerated the pace of play has has been refreshing uh, for the game, I think. And, uh, and then you have a deal with last night. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Uh, so Craig Kimbrell's pitching for the Phillies. They're, they're, they're playing the Diamondbacks. And 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 it's not that uncommon to see a pitch clock violation called these days, especially guys who work more deliberately. I saw it happen uh, once or twice in the regional down in Coral Gables. I saw it happen at least once in the super regional at Stanford. Uh, so it's it's not uncommon to see a pitch clock violation in a game. But last night uh, in uh, Phoenix. The uh, Diamondbacks are hosting the Phillies, and Craig Kimbrell is called not once, not twice, but three times for a pitch clock violation in the same inning in the ninth inning. Now, we should point out it ended up not mattering because he wound up kind of blowing through them one, two, three, and ended up getting the save for the Phillies to beat the Diamondbacks. But you haven't seen anybody in, in, in watching all the major and league and minor league ball that you've watched this year and then watching the Pitchcock last year in the minors get called for three violations in a game, have you? Let alone an inning. I have not. I have not. And and I was watching that game, and as I'm watching it, all I could think about was Craig having lapses into his old style because he was one of the guys that would set multiple times, work very, very slow, and it was almost like he had a mental lapse and, and just had, had completely forgot that, that the pitch clock is now in existence because he really uh, looked like his old self prior to the pitch clock. And uh, fortunately uh, he was able to work out of it because it wasn't like it was a blowout game. It was, it was a key spot of the game, but uh, I think there is some of that as, as this, this, this starts to heat up and they were indoors, but I do think that guys are tend to fall back into their old habits sometime and have to be reminded that the, these rule changes are here and, uh, they're not going anywhere, and I think that may have been the case with him yesterday. Okay, here's something I've never asked you about before, but it, but it, but it makes me think about this because Kimbrell is like a poster example of this. And what I'm what I'm talking about is, I'll just call it for lack of a better term, freaky or freakish routines. So Kimbrell, you know, uh, picks up his elbows. I always said he looked like. Uh, a, a, a pterodactyl taking a dump when he did it, you know that that sort of thing when he's when he's leaning in like that. But we all remember those types of things. What was it? Andy Pettit used to just glower at you over the top of the glove, and you would have you would have uh, different ones that would just uh, turn. Who was the one reliever? And all of a sudden, would snap his head and turn right to you and stare. Uh, it was uh, that all of those routines. How much of that, in your experience of being around big league pitchers, and even in in the minors as well, how much of that 
is habit and routine and how much is it them trying, at least trying, to capture uh, uh, an intimidation moment. Because you can't imagine too many big league hitters being that intimidated by something like that. But how much of it is routine and muscle memory and things like that? And how much of it is it them really trying to cast a little bit of intimidation on the hitter? It is 110% routine. And most of them have started at a very young age in their career. Uh, as they move along and from their amateur into professional career, there are things that you, that there's a little more uh, leeway to be able to do, uh, but but make no mistake, especially relievers, it is all about routine. Um, I think some of it turns into a little intimidation aspect, almost like professional wrestlish, and when you've got the lights and the music coming in and your walk-in song and all that, it becomes part of the show. Uh, but make no mistake, Uga Thurbina in 2003, when we won the World Series. Uga Thurbina would absolutely take a nap until the seventh inning of the game in his locker because he didn't want to know all the ups and downs that had taken place in the game to get to the moment of him walking in and getting his three outs. The only thing he knew his job was to get the final three outs of the game. And and sometimes when you're in that dugout and you're in the bullpen and you feel the ups and downs and the emotion, especially extra inning games, you walk into the moment and the pressure and the anxiety is so high that you can't handle the moment. And I think a lot of relievers do everything they can to block out everything that has happened in the game and just focus on going in and their window uh, of, of matching up versus hitters and focusing on getting those three outs. And, and the technology and the, and the presentations that we have today with uh, what hitters swing at in certain counts by pitch, pitch percentage by counts, that when these pitchers take the mound, they are absolutely 110% prepared to perform. And I think the routine is 90% of that for them. Talking uh, baseball with Gene Watson here uh, on uh, Light the Tower of the Herd. Okay, one thing I always love about when we talk baseball and we and we uh, toss some question at, questions at you from the Specs text line. Uh, almost without fail, we get questions about specific players on specific teams that are not either the Astros or the Rangers. And you always have a great response on this. So curious to get your thoughts about this. Uh, on the text line, Jeff goes, hey, is there any way you could talk Gene into taking Mike Zanino off Cleveland's hands? He's available for a bag of balls and three pouches of big league chew. Zanino, I remember playing really well for Florida and beating Texas in the College World Series in 2011 and uh, made his debut 10 years ago. He is struggling right now. He's batting 177, three homers and 11 runs batted in. But I guess the larger issue is, is that uh, depending on contracts and depending on service time, uh, teams – uh, might have a hard time uh, working with a guy and hope they work through it. I, I, the team I root for, the Dodgers, Chris Taylor's been in a, basically a season-long slump, and yet he hits a grand slam last night, makes a big defensive play, and a lot of big league managers see what their guys are capable of doing on a day-in, day-out basis. Isn't it, Gino, that keeps them from whatever, trying to pull the trigger on a trade or outlet or right release of a guy? Well, most of the time it's contractual, uh, beyond contractual, it becomes a, man, a, man, a, a roster management issue. You've only got a 40-man roster, 26 guys are out of options. So you've got to sustain your roster from a 26-man standpoint. Um, 
but but more than anything it's it's supply and demand i mean right now finding center fielders that can hit and short stops and catchers it's like finding an nfl quarterback the supply is is so much shorter than the demand right now that you just can't you just can't turn it over that fast. You've got to, and you know, Mike was a guy that was 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 a little bit rushed to the major league level uh, as a college catcher. Why? Because of supply and demand, and they needed to get him there. So uh, your development can sometimes be hampered in that situation, but but really it becomes contractual. And then okay, okay, so we DFA Mike Zanino. What's the move going to be? There's no catching out there that you can get your hands on. If you look at San Diego and then picking up Gary Sanchez and what he's done for the Padres, that kind of gives you a lay of the landscape as the supply and the demand. And, and just look at, like, from major league standpoint, look at what Gary Sanchez in San Diego, look at Aaron Hicks in Baltimore, look at Ryan O'Hearn in Baltimore, guys that they were just in a system and a, and a situation for so long that they, they go to a new environment, new managers, new coaches, new teammates, new city, and they something just clicks for them that they take off. So it's not as easy as it sounds just to turn over your roster like that, mostly because of money, secondly because of roster management, but supply and demand is a big part of it. Well, I'll give and you I'm another. That, I'm sure that's what they're. Yeah, and Gina, I'll give you another example of what you just laid out about how change of scenery makes a difference. Jason Hayward. Uh, with what he's done since he's been in a Dodger uniform has been has been pretty impressive to see. Sometimes it's, it's just ballpark. Uh, yeah, it's ballpark. It's clubhouse. It's it's who's hitting around you. It's it's putting on a different uniform and going to hit take BP and you look around. Look at look at uh, JD Martinez DFA'd by the Astros goes to Detroit. He's got Miguel Cabrera and Victor Martinez saying, "Hey, just do what we do." We're going to protect you, work like we work, watch what we do, and J.D. Martinez turns into a $100 million player. I mean, culture and environment and opportunity and comfort are such a big part of why major league players are successful. And Chris Taylor going from Seattle to L.A. and turning into the player he turned into. There's a thousand examples of how that happens at the major league level. Talking baseball with Gene Watson. Okay, I, here's here's a question. I'm not being completely – snarky or facetious about this, but I am kind of curious to get your thoughts on it. In the American League Central, the Twins are one game above 500, and they lead the division by two and a half games. In the National League Central, the Pirates are one game above 500, and they lead the Brewers by half game. They have a series starting tonight, by the way, uh, in, in Milwaukee. Is it possible that we could see a team at or even below 500 as a playoff team this year. I know the Cardinals won a World Series a year. They went 82 and 80. The Mets got to the 73 World Series 50 years ago when they went 82 and 79 with a rainout. Is it possible we could see a playoff team, and I would imagine it'd have to be a division winner, wouldn't be able to be a wild card, but a division winner at or even below 500 make the postseason? I think you're going to be just north of 500. And I think in the 84 to 86 range. And in talking to uh, managers, coaches, players around the league, the one thing that everybody, including this morning, people are commenting on is how difficult this new schedule is because of the travel and the things that just had to take place. You look at Oakland going into Milwaukee, who I had in the World Series in May, going into Milwaukee and sweeping them. Uh, it, there's just things going on with the schedule and the travel and the wear on these teams that have just created a little bit of chaos. 
And then you look at the positive schedules where I've talked to a couple of men where they say, you know, in our division, we've just gone through 10 to 14 days of a really difficult part of the schedule while two other teams in our division were going through the soft spot. And now it's flipped and we're playing really well against the soft spot and they're struggling. And so it's, it's really about winning the games that you're supposed to win. And look at the Cincinnati Reds and what they're doing right now with really a young ball club. They, they lead Major League Baseball with 21 run, one-run wins, and, and that's, that's where you can create some separation or maybe a team that you don't expect to be in it. All of a sudden they're in it because they win those games, those tight games, and they win the games on the schedule that you look at the teams you're playing and they just win those games. And I, I don't think we're going to see 500 or south of it. I think 84 to 86 wins will probably be the low end of it. And then what you have to take into consideration coming up in August is the trade deadline and those teams that are four, five, six games out of the wild card that really don't believe they're in it, and they begin to spin those players off. And the second half, you're going to have some teams that have even less talent and greater chances to win, and that's going to offset the schedule and the win-loss records for some divisions as well. Somebody asking if you, how you feel about Josh Young and his season. Here's a guy batting, the youngster, he's batting 283. He's got 13 homers, 40 runs batted in. Has struck out 72 times uh, so far this year. But how do you feel about Young's development and his season with uh, the Rangers? I'm going to see him again this weekend. Uh, you know, a potential rookie of the year candidate and, and another, you know, overdeveloped, very well-developed college bat that got to the big leagues fairly quickly. But, you know, think about him going to the ballpark every day and being able to look around the players that he's got surrounding him. That's a huge asset for a young hitter to be on a talented team like this versus a young hitter that's got to be on a team with a bunch of other young players that don't really have somebody to to show them the way and the way to to work and travel and, and prepare. And, and so that's a huge benefit for Josh, and he's certainly one of the Rookie of the Year candidates right now. He's Gene Watson, does a tremendous job, joins us each week uh, to talk Major League Baseball. And, uh, Gino, I appreciate the time. We'll, we'll do it again uh, next week before I get out of town on vacation. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll do that again, but we'll look forward to it. Welcome back, uh, back home, at least to the Lone Star State anyway. You bet. Thanks, and I'll be in touch, okay? You bet. Thank you, Gina. All right, that's uh, Gene Watson. And uh, coming up, we will uh, have uh, a Flex 30 update, our Longhorn Notebook, and then we're going to get to a few more of your memories uh, with your dad on this Father's Day weekend. I'll share with you mine as well when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. My child arrived just the other day He came to the world in the usual way But there were planes to catch and bills to pay He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then This is Light the Tower on the Horn. I always liked this Harry Chapin song, even though it kind of has a sad story about it. 
dad who's never home enough to be with his kids. And I always tried to be very sensitive to that, even with my travel schedule, to make sure that when I was home, I was, you know, giving enough time to my kids. Unfortunately, I'm, I don't think I've done any permanent damage. <laughs> I think they were, they're all okay. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully uh, that's okay with that. We always had uh, great vacations together and, and uh, tried to be there for daughter's dance competitions and son's baseball games and football games and stuff like that. Try to do that as well. Uh, let's get a Flex 30 update while we have the opportunity here. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the horn and go to flxatx.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit brainvault.com and join the movement. I uh, I think we're, and I just want to make sure I'm looking at the uh, the guidelines on this, and I am, uh, that we were still a little over a month away from the start of conditioning for high school football teams, not only around the area, but across the state as well. Now, Cam, you just you guys just finished up with a, with a flex show the other night. A lot of baseball talk in there, obviously, mm-hmm. with Westlake's great run as well. But uh, our thoughts are never far from football, and we're just around the corner. You guys have had some of the local uh, rising seniors on for uh, for football programs in, in recent weeks. Yeah, and even Coach Blair, who, of course, is the baseball coach, he's also the quarterback's coach for the football team. So yeah. we talked to him about the Westlake quarterback situation with uh, Paxton Land coming back, um, who he played some time as quarterback during mm-hmm. Skinner's injury. He's probably yep. going to be a big focal part of their offense. So, yeah, I mean, as we get to the point now, I mean, we're middle of June, it's like we finished it up, but it's like when there's nothing going on, you automatically think about, okay, when's the next football game? How many days until Texas football, until high school football? And, I mean, seven-on-sevens have been going on this summer, so we're already kind of getting a preview look at who's going to be the rising up-and-comers, what quarterbacks look good. So it's, I mean, and we have Big 12 Media Days in a couple weeks, so that's going to be we're yeah. going to be straining the football here pretty soon. Well, I can tell you this: today we're forty-five days to the start of conditioning oh. for one A through four A schools, and then the five A's and six A's who did not have spring practice. Those who did not have spring practice get to start a week earlier. Those who did have spring practice start a week later. So you're forty-five days away. For the first day of conditioning, no contact activities are permitted. No contact equipment other than helmets can be yep. worn on those. And then their first full day of contact for those programs would be August 5th. August 7th is the first day of conditioning for the programs that had spring practice. Mm-hmm. Okay, And their first day of full contact is August 12th. So it's a, it's a little more than that. So it would be... 58 days away from the first practices for the programs in 5A and 6A that had uh, that had uh, spring ball. And and most, not all, but most of the 5As and 6As had spring practice. And I think it's a perfect amount of time to like, you know, once baseball season ends, you kind of get your vacations in right for us media members. Yep. And when we get back, it's enough time for us to kind of uh, fill up the cup of uh, missing football, right? Yeah. Kind of reload, refresh. Because it's been, you know, it's, it's a long year, especially, you know, for you and me who are constantly, you know, on the broadcast calls throughout from football to baseball to softball. And, and now, you know, kind of get to regroup. But 
Only two months away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, in case you're wanting to know, first days that they can play, it's going to sound real early to you. It's, 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 it's going to sound like this. Uh, very, very early to you. The first game, the first day that you can have a game, Thursday, August 24th. That sounds like North Carolina when we yeah. go over there with some of those. August 24th, sub-varsity teams can actually play one day earlier mm. on the 23rd if the varsity team is playing on Thursday of that week. They can do that. So it's August 24th. The calendar, by the way, should point this out in case you haven't noticed. The calendar is shifted up by one week. This happens uh, every few years where the calendar flips it forward to the extent that the state championships are the weekend, December 13, 14, 15, and 16. State championship games will be done more than a week before Christmas. That doesn't happen often. No. But it will happen this year because of that. December 16th will be that state championship Saturday. That's a week after last year, right? Wasn't it this? this? A week later would have been last year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it got done on the 22nd, I believe it was. Uh, So... It's 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 actually jumping forward, uh, pulling to so week, week, week before. Week yep. Before. So it'll be so it'll be December twenty uh, December sixteenth will be the last day of the state championships. That'll be nice for all the uh, the Westlake people to get their Christmas vacations in a little, little there earlier. Right? There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. There it is. There's our flex thirty uh, update on that. Hey. Um, uh, I, w- I want to get to some more of these uh, because I did pose the question, and folks have responded with it on the Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six. In the time we got left here, uh, about a great Father's Day memory. First of all, when we bump back with uh, cats in the cradle there by the late Harry Chapin, somebody said, "Y'all trying to make me cry?" <laughs> Off of that, I understand? Understand that today? Uh, somebody said, "My dad just turned 90. And we reminisce recently about our trip to the New Year's Day 1964 Cotton Bowl game between the Longhorns and Navy. That was when the Longhorns won their first national title, the 1963 season. My first Horns game just a week before my eighth birthday. Still remember the day uh, being in the mid-50s and beautiful and fun-filled when they beat Roger Staubach, the Heisman Trophy winner, and Navy 28-6 that day. Uh, So, there's yeah, that happened uh, in the Cotton Bowl that day. Um, somebody else said, uh, talked about, uh, uh, my wife and my father, both of our fathers fought in World War II. Uh, I still have his yearbook from his tour in Europe. My father taught me to fish and hunt. So glad he got to see the horns win in 2005 before he passed. We were born and raised in Austin and I uh, coached for the whole time our kids, uh, we're in school 30-plus years. My wife did a great job raising the kids. Understand that. Our good friend, Police Chief Cantu, says, I played baseball from third grade little league to high school ball, and my dad never missed a practice or game. That's what I remember growing up. He just turned 70 in January, taking my dad to his first Cowboys game October 3rd. Well done. Well done. Somebody pointed out that Gene Watson is a is a fine Texan. He is uh, from day one. Uh, I, Chief, I remember uh, my dad doing that, and this will get me into my uh, one of my all time favorite memories of my dad. But one of the things he used to do, um, where I grew up, grew up in North Carolina, the little league that I was in uh, was a solid fifteen minute drive from our house. 
because uh, we were in a little more rural area out uh, out near a lake. And so to be in the Little League, we were, uh, we were a little further out. And, and somebody was talking the other day about what your team name sponsor was, the, the business that sponsored your Little League. Like we all know in Bad News Bears, it's Chico's Bail Bonds, right, on the back of the uniforms. Uh, my my uh, Little League team was not Chico's Bail Bonds, but it was Lambeth Troxler Funeral Home. <laughs> Lambeth Troxler, yeah. You making that up? No, La- Lambeth Troxler, L-A-M-B-E-T-H hyphen Troxler, T-R-O-X-L-E-R, Lambeth Troxler Funeral Home. Yeah, that was my, and it had those heavy wool little league uniforms. It was a, I was in little league right about the time the original Bad News Bears came out. That movie, so his uniforms were similar, that kind of thing back then. But my favorite, uh, hey, whatever pays the bills, right? Whoever pays for those uniforms, that's exactly matter. right. All kinds of sponsors. One of my favorite memories, uh, if not my favorite, but certainly one of my all-time favorite memories of my dad was when I did go to my first Major League Baseball game, July 17, 1971. And this is what I meant when I when I thanked Gene Watson. He was the one who introduced me to baseball reference several years ago. And that's where you can look up virtually any game uh, over the decades. And I looked it up, and I found it. I always thought it was July 16th. It was July 17th, 1971. Um, and the reason why I know it was that day, it was a Saturday afternoon game in Atlanta. It was Braves-Dodgers, and I'm a Dodger fan. wearing my Dodger hat today, in fact. Um, and uh, I'd never been to a big league game. I grew up in Greensboro, which was 330 miles from Atlanta and about 300 miles from Washington as well. And the only baseball that we got was on WBIG, AM 1470, there in town. We were a Braves affiliate and so I'd listen to the ball games. I listened to Ernie Johnson and Milo Hamilton doing the Braves back then, in the seventies, and uh, and then you'd get the Major League Baseball game of the week. And so Kirk Gowdy and Tony Kubek did it, and that's what was my first exposure. Well, my dad got tickets, and my younger brother and I went with him and his business partner and his son, and we went to Atlanta to see the Braves and Dodgers. I'm so excited. We get down on a um, Friday night, and the game is on Saturday. Saturday afternoon, beautiful afternoon. It was a little warm, as I remember, but it was still beautiful. And it was the NBC Game of the Week, so I was excited about that. The game was at Braves-Dodgers. The Braves won 10 to nothing. <laughs> Hank Aaron, Ralph Gar, and Darrell Evans all homered for the Braves in that game. My baseball hero, my original one, Willie Davis, went 0 for 3 in the game. Uh, but I do remember Wes Parker having a couple of doubles in the game. But anyway, the Braves won 10 nothing that day. And then the next day, the Giants were in town starting a series on a Sunday and they had a doubleheader, and we were there. And I got to see the great Willie Mays play, and he pinch hit a home run in the game, and Aaron hit another home run there. And, uh, and then one year later, my dad took me to Shea Stadium when Mays was finishing up a career with the Mets. But I always remember that first major league game going down to Atlanta, and they took us to a nice uh, restaurant for a steak dinner at Underground Atlanta after the game. And I always, always remember that's one of the great memories of my dad taking us, uh, taking me and my younger brother to my first ever baseball game, July 17th, 1971. We'll be back to wrap up the week of Light the Tower on the Horn. That's going to wrap it up for today. Hey, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Somebody said Fulton County Stadium was a dump, wasn't it? In 1971, when it was still Atlanta Stadium, it was still kind of nice back then, although it was, you know, uh, you know, it was one of those cookie-cutter, multi-purpose stadiums. 
for that. Somebody said, I was always terrified one of the smokers would catch the place on fire. My pops took me to see Aaron break the record. I was little. I think it was during spring break. No one in Texas believed me. I got in like three fights over. Good one for you. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks to our producer, Cameron Parker. Thanks for Gene Watson joining us. Uh, my name is Craig Way. Stay tuned. Chad and Zay are up next. We'll visit with you Monday morning, 10 o'clock, right here on Light the Tower. Happy Father's Day.